Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursa on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, the startup journey. And today I am joined by Dr. Carlos Gaetan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Benchmark Labs. His background is environmental sciences and machine learning, and he's an elected member of the American Meteorological Society's Artificial Intelligence Committee, which is so freaking cool. And we're going to talk about that. And it took me forever to figure out how to say that without like flubbing the words. So there. <laughs> he's worked at early stage startups in the environmental science space, and he's here today to share his entrepreneurial journeys with us. So welcome to the show, Carlos. <laughs> Thank you for hosting me, Cynthia. Uh, very excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. So start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how did you become an entrepreneur? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's a super interesting question. I guess that I was always entrepreneurial since uh, growing up. All of the situations that I had lived in the past from my academic career to my personal experiences uh, put me in the situation that I'm uh, here now as a CEO of Benchmark Labs. So yeah, as you mentioned, I have a background in atmospheric sciences, machine learning, but also I think that it's important uh, to mention, I when I was growing up in my native uh, Colombia, we experienced a very severe uh, El Nino event effect that uh, created uh, uh, or affected the whole country. We were highly dependent on hydropower. We have lots, lots of rivers, so the country traditionally had relied on dams and hydropower. But the, that El uh, Nino event was so severe that we even have to move the clock one hour. Uh, Colombia is located in the equator, so imagine like having a winter savings time or something. So that was uh, that was shocking uh, for everybody, including myself. I was studying. and uh, How old were you when that happened? I remember I was doing I was doing homework. So I, I remember like I had to sometimes do candlelight. <laughs> wow. And uh, so that's uh, yeah, that was very very interesting. And since then, it's like oh, I have to study all these effects of water, climate, weather, yeah. and how it affects economies. So uh, then I did uh, hydrology, hydroinformatics. Uh, then I went to uh, the University of British Columbia to do my PhD. Uh, with Professor William Che, that's uh, one of the pioneers in machine learning applications to environmental sciences. Yeah. Um, because I said, you know, I study hydrology, but I want to understand what happens at the cloud level. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess that all of those uh, situations uh, give my curiosity and uh, keep understanding the water cycle and the impacts of weather all over the world. Then, after that, I moved to the United States. I went to Princeton to a geophysical fluid dynamics laboratory. Uh, worked there in close collaboration with scientists from uh, the Department of Commerce, Department of Interior, stakeholders. And uh, they, uh, since that moment, it became very clear that uh, I had like, also 
experience more joy uh, talking with users, solving yeah. problems yeah. Um, for different stakeholders than writing papers. Uh, mm. So then I moved to the private sector, working with hardware companies, uh, climate consulting companies, and then uh, we created Benchmark Labs to solve all those needs that we have been hearing for the last uh, 10 years uh, wow. of real users saying, hey, Carlos, what can you do to help us with uh, weather forecasting for our location? I only need better weather for my farm. I don't need better weather for my county, my right. state. Just give me better forecast for my farm. So um, that's uh, how we ended up here. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. So you literally had this... this you know, huge life-changing event, like, you know, world economy changing event happen when you were a kid. And you you kind of had this moment where you were like, I don't like this feeling of powerlessness or I don't like not understanding all this dynamic. I'm going to go like learn about that. And now you're helping like thousands of people, right? Like tell us a little bit more about what Benchmark Labs does and how you guys are solving problems and who you work with. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so yeah, that affected us in so many ways. The uh, drought not only affected the uh, energy sector, yeah. and that had like all the implications that we have to go into energy saving, but we also having to save water. Uh, all the crops uh, had to be more efficient, or like some of them were like actually not receiving enough water to to produce at maximum yield. Yeah. So. So yeah, it was uh, a very interesting uh, uh, situation. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's really cool. That's really really cool. So tell us what you know. You've been how long have you been an entrepreneur? Good question. In Colombia, I started like uh, probably growing up, and after being eighteen, probably I did a lot of things. Probably. I, I even sold sandwiches uh, with some of my friends. Oh, wow, no uh, kidding. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get like, a, then I uh, started uh, doing some uh, consulting. Uh, when I was doing an engineering, I did uh, a blueprints, uh, help with uh, automated software uh, to try always to provide some services. So I had like some idea of uh, treating customers and creating yeah. value-added solutions. And then... Um, yeah, I guess uh, after the I went to Canada for my PhD, I put that on hold. But then after moving to the United States and after my experience uh, at NOAA, when I moved to the private sector, then uh, in 2019, yeah. we decided to create a Benchmark Labs. Okay. And what we do in Benchmark Labs, to answer your, your previous question, is like we do uh, environmental forecasts okay. uh, tailored to each specific uh, farm, each specific field. Wow. Uh, so what we do is uh, we integrate uh, IoT sensors that are yep. like Internet of Things, basically anything that is connected, hardware sensor that transmits environmental data uh, through the cloud. Yeah. Uh, we improve the forecast from the national weather agencies, from uh, different uh, private providers. Yep. We correct those ones to be more actionable and uh, kind of reduce the errors. Yeah. Those forecasts based on the information of the in situ hardware that are installed at uh, fixed assets like agricultural farms. Wow, that's super cool. So you can tell a farmer who's you know got two hundred acres of cornfield 
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. Theplug-agency.com. That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer. Like very, very accurately what to expect for what, five days, seven days? Like how far out are you forecasting? (laughs) Yes. So um, we focus on uh, climate sciences. In atmospheric sciences, it's called the weather uh, window. So it's like what's happening now up to 15 days in the future. Oh, wow. And uh, we uh, improved the forecast from the National Weather Service up to 60, 66%. Depends yeah. on the geography and the variable uh, wow. that you are improving. But uh, farmers have been receiving improvements in relative humidity, temperature, wind speeds, direction, uh, even some interesting variables like evapotranspiration. Wow. That is how much water the plant uh, uses. Wow, that's so, cool. And how many sensors do you have to put in order to get this data? I mean, is it like you have, you know, a couple on some weather vanes or, you know, how many, how many <laughs> does the average, average installation have? Uh, to deploy our technology, the farmer only needs one sensor. One sensor. Information for that specific location. Some farmers, wow. uh, if they are not into row crops, uh, for example, in specialty crops, they uh, rely more on, effects of microclimate, their terroir, as the French call them, the value of what makes them unique in terms of soil characteristics, uh, land cover, uh, Interesting. the microclimates that could bring a sea breeze or uh, other notes of flavor to the crops. So in those cases, uh, we had uh, even installations where they install one sensor on top of the other. Uh, oh. So it depends. It's crop, it's crop specific, the solution. Okay. Uh, it depends on the level of microclimates that they are experiencing okay. and how much uh, accuracy they want to uh, to get for their specific uh, locations. So for uh, row crops, probably will be, as you said, like one sensor for 10 acres, maybe is representative. But okay. if you are uh, thinking about uh, wine grapes. Yeah, vineyard. Uh, Especially, exactly. especially if you're in like a more hilly area where some of your grapes are growing up and some of your grapes are in the valley, that could exactly. be pretty different, so some, right? Some of our users have like uh, these IoT sensors in the valley, as you mentioned, and other ones have in the valley and on the hillside of the mountains, sometimes multiple uh, sensors, depending on which side, because they could receive shade at different times of the day and, and so wow, on. Wow, so. that's so cool. So you're building machine learning models and artificial intelligence models to help take all of this data and do higher accuracy predictions. Am I getting that? Is, it, is that an accurate assessment? That's correct. Okay. Okay. So there's a lot of myths, I think, and, and a lot of like believed things that aren't necessarily true by by the general population and even a lot of people in tech about what is AI and machine learning and what can it really do. So can you tell us more about like what really is machine learning? What can it do? What can't it do? Like break break some of that down and, and let's dispel some myths about that. 
<laughs> yeah, I yeah, mean, I, are our machines that is, that is are machines going to replace humans? Like, that's the big question, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we also ter- Terminator and know how we dare. Yeah, so it's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, let's uh, let's start like um, machine learning and AI. Sometimes it's they are being used interchangeably, but uh, machine learning is a subset of techniques of AI. Yep. That is like the broader field of artificial intelligence. In this case, what we are implementing, it's a machine learning techniques where the uh, these uh, algorithms learn as more data comes. Uh, we constrain them by physics. Mm. Uh, so they don't go and produce something that is physically not possible. <laughs> Environmental science. It's going to rain uh, diamonds in Iowa today. <laughs> exactly. Or like... You know, it's like relative humidity is going to be 300%. It's like, that is not possible. You know? But sometimes the computer doesn't know. So uh, so probably eventually, maybe AI in the future, you know, saying like they would be intelligent enough to, to do that. But in, in machine learning, you still have to constrain. It's more like they are based in statistics to, to remove all the myths around okay. them. Uh, lots of linear algebra, mm. uh, matrices, operations, uh, how to make those uh, equations, uh, they resolve them faster. They, they find ways to uh, find patterns yeah. in data. Uh, you can, uh, there are different techniques. Some of them uh, are very good in classification. Okay. Things. So it's a typical cat versus dog yeah. that you see in the internet or like just try to see if you're human, like identify which <laughs> ones are the crossing, the, you know, traffic lights or the bicycles in the oh yeah <laughs> in yeah, all yeah. Of these, uh, so so yeah the, actually you are actually helping those algorithms to be trained because now the humans tell them oh actually this is the, the oh interesting right? so, so some of them just learn by pattern it's like they need lots of data yeah and the more data they have they say okay this is definitely a dog this is definitely a cat yeah. and they they can generalize yeah. When they see a, a totally different, let's say, a husky. Yeah. Uh, oh, they could be... Uh, They're like, they hmm, is that a fox? A, a fox. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so sometimes it's just trying to train them at that level of, of subtlety, but they require a lot of, of data. Ideally, at the end, in, in, much, in artificial intelligence, then uh, the system will learn by itself too. Mm. Um, and uh, it will be able to uh, trick a human to so the human will not uh, know that is uh, you know that you are talking with a machine yeah uh, still you still uh, there are like many instances that you know that, yeah oh this is a robot oh, I, yeah. I just want to talk to a person yeah and um but yeah so uh, basically to remove the myth is statistics and people uh, had been doing statistical corrections for in engineering for decades. Millennia, uh, right? The same thing. Yeah, yeah, millennia. Yeah. Yeah. We, we are used to linear regressions. And the limit, these uh, machine learning models, the most simple ones, you can, they will resolve a linear regression. But then uh, they can also learn more like nonlinear regressions. Yeah. A little bit. And you can kind of aid them and yeah. tell them, oh, no, don't extrapolate too much or extrapolate beyond these bounds or... I expect that the answer will be linear. Yeah. So yeah. So it's about you also, you need some domain expertise to, to make them uh, more actionable and uh, realistic. And I think that some of the dangers that probably 
helps about the myths and the misuses of AIs when people uh, train them without uh, understanding the, the physics or the the causality, what what is beyond the problem. That's interesting. So so it sounds like with machine learning, it, it actually requires a smart human to be able to look at the models and say, whoa, 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 because we've heard about machine learning models that go rogue and they start like, they get some kind of data in that is a little bit different or may, you know, maybe they make a different assumption and nothing corrects them about it. And so they go, oh, well now all of this is this. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a second, hold on, right? And so machine learning is really more about teaching a computer a model to help to improve identification for workflows or identification of data patterns but it still requires that human intervention to say is the is this I'm not going to say logically yes. but is this really right you know and sometimes you can only get that from knowing what you're looking at and 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 like you said having that domain knowledge and so then the the, the extension of that would be artificial intelligence as a machine that can replicate a human in looking at what a what a machine learning model is doing and 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 making those determinations and and having artificial intelligence keep a machine learning model from going rogue right and that's like way future <laughs> sci-fi right i mean are we there does that exist uh, no, not there we no. we, we are we're going and uh, people are at the research level actively looking into uh, making more intelligent machines because they can make decisions better informed decisions yeah learn like a uh, experience you know like the toddlers uh, it's important for robots yeah. uh, that they can learn as they go on the field and for different situations so there is a component of um, supervised learning that is uh, yeah you supervise okay. them okay teach them but there is also a, a another subset of models that are unsupervised and you give them data and they, they try to it's kind of super unsupervised but the human tells them what they're expecting to okay like, okay let's say you have a lot of uh, data yeah of uh it could be articles it could be news articles yeah and you can tell this unsupervised uh, model to try to find uh, three categories or five categories Okay. That reflect all the articles on your podcast or your or the New York Times. Interesting. So the, the, the machine learning model now is constrained by the human and say like, oh, you want me to find categories. Yeah. And then they will put them together and tell you, I found five categories or seven categories. And these are the and these are the ones that are closer to this category than to the other one. Yeah. So that's unsupervised, but the human told them, Hey, I need seven categories, I need five categories. Constraints, right? And they, and they are doing it by themselves. The okay. other alternative is like you have to train them and say, hey, this is a cat, this is a dog, uh, or this is a linear regression, or this is what is expected, this is the temperature uh, here, And uh, but it, in reality, it should be here. So there are, they are regression models, there are classification models. Okay. And, uh, basically, those ones will cover most of the applications. And in, in the future, ideally, uh, you know, you will have... Uh, um, Systems that learn by themselves, by, yeah. uh, like more like a baby <laughs> or us. <laughs> so Terminator's coming, but we're not there yet, is what I'm hearing you say. <laughs> I hope that <laughs> we got smarter than to not let the keys of the 
<laughs> Skynet to a robot, but <laughs> I don't think that AI should control our nuclear systems. But <laughs> oh, that would certainly change the Russia-Ukraine conflict, wouldn't it? Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, I think that you always, you always, I think that you will need a human in the loop. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. We'll call that yeah. one highly supervised. <laughs> highly supervised. Yeah. You've done lots of different entrepreneurial things, and and we could talk about AI and ML for for days because this is fascinating to me, and I'm so immersed in this right now, and I I just love the way you broke all that down. But I, I want to go back to the entrepreneurial side. So so tell us a little bit about like what do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur so far in in the various things that you've done in your ventures. Oh, that's um, that's a very good one. I, I think that uh, the most important part is uh, to uh, listen to to your users and create mm. a product that actually uh, is going to be needed, or that it solves a real clear uh, problem. Sometimes you divide it in categories, like what is a must to have, what is a nice to have. Yeah. Try to find those ones that are a must. Yeah. Both probably serve a need. But uh, if a user must solve that problem yeah. uh, to be more efficient, yep. you are in a good track to to define a product to to build something that has uh, a real value that they can spend. And they say, "Yes, I can spend this today," yeah. instead of uh, having to create something that uh, it could be a nice to have. Yeah, and you kind of have to talk people and, into buying it, right? And then it's like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think that that's that's probably the most important. Uh, part uh, try to understand your users and understand what is uh, what is a real need versus uh, what is a perceived <laughs> need from the entrepreneur. So don't put your own judgment. Go there and talk to them without preconceptions, uh, because sometimes the answers are uh, as simple as what I really need <laughs> is yeah. to get all of these twenty different sources of data yeah. that are disaggregated into. Twenty in a single different place. webpages. If you can just put them together, so I can say print screen, and then suddenly I you make my compliance easier. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Probably, you know, it's it's a value added uh, solution for us, but uh, or in that perspective, but it's, it comes from listening to the user. You might think like, oh no, what they need is another web page that is totally new or whatever. But um, the big problem for them is that there are too many web pages. It could be <laughs> you know, as, a, as an example. Sort of like how we used to have cable and then we were like, I just want the channels I want. So now you have all these streaming services, but now you have to buy all of them. And so now I'm hearing people say, I wish I could just buy like one thing and get all the stuff that I like. I'm like, wait a second. Are we back to cable? We just like evolved cable. What just happened? <laughs> it's, it's an interesting point. I was wondering like if you add all these uh, streaming services that you're paying, you yep. know, it seems that they are cheap. Yeah. But uh, if you add them all the subscriptions, probably it's cheaper to get them. That's right. To get all the customers. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so I heard you say something that I'm like, oh my gosh, like a data science guy, like a, like a an engineer said, talk to people. Like, really, I got to go talk to people? Is that really what I have to do? And how do you do that? <laughs> yeah, it's it is it is important. It is very important. So uh, <laughs> I guess when when I was a, <laughs> it is 
so it is so important. It's not for everybody. Not many people like to talk to people. Yeah, especially if <laughs> you're an engineer, are, right? You're like, just give me uh, data. But you figured that out pretty are, quickly, right? You were like, oh, <laughs> academics, writing papers, not really my jam. I really do like people, right? Yeah, I really like people. I, I enjoy writing my papers and uh, wrote like chapters and really like very interesting contributions. But talking with users and having a user t- to tell me, hey, Carlos, I just need information for for Texas, yeah. for this area of Texas, yeah. to help the lesser prairie chicken. They nest at uh, 40 centimeters above ground. Can you give me forecast for 40 centimeters above ground? And wow. the answer when I was working in the government was like, theoretically it's possible, but we cannot do it because the systems are already designed to give you forecast at zero centimeters or at ground level or at two meters. And, oh, uh, wow. We, and every time that we run the models, we have to do it for all the entire world. So I cannot give you the, yeah, say, I will run southern Texas in this county for your, for saving the lesser prairie chicken at 40 centimeters. I would love to do it, but I can't with these resources. So I basically, after hearing all of those interactions, talking in agriculture, hey, yeah. I have a farm near the mountains and uh, they're like a unique microclimate, the National Weather Service is substantially biased. Sometimes they are eight degrees Fahrenheit in errors versus what we observe at the farm. And uh, eight degrees can be a effect. lot depending on what you're trying it to is do, a right? Lot. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, especially when you have to deal with frosts. Oh, you know, like it, yeah. it might not be a problem when you are around like, a, you know, 60 to 68. Sure. Maybe that's all right. But if but it's a difference between 30 and 38. Fahrenheit, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's like, okay. Are these guys going to suffer a frost event and I could lose half of my crop or not? Eight degrees is a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) The same thing on the other side. When you talk at the the opposite side of the spectrum, uh, OSHA regulations are now preventing labor uh, in the fields. uh, Around 95 Fahrenheit, 100 Fahrenheit, they are... Because, of course, it's it's very important for the... You don't want people just fainting with heat. Yeah, heat, heat exposure strokes. and exhaustion and uh, all heat that. Heat exposure, yeah. exhaustion. Yep. So yep. Uh, eight degrees will make a difference. It's yeah. the difference between being at 100 or 92. Yeah. I mean, 92, you can perform labor with That's restrictions. Right. But 100, it's like you should be inside. Wow. You never, I mean, okay. And so you said something else, which is you said, so the prairie chicken and, and 42 centimeters does... Zero, you know, ground level versus 40 centimeters. Does the weather change enough between those two that that can make a difference? It does. It does. Really? A, it does, especially because the problem is that zero or ground level, they record the, the temperature of the surface. That is the soil temperature. Oh. But at 40, you have already air. You have atmospheric mixing and yeah. it's totally different material. So it's like the same thing like uh, when you uh, touch two different colors and on a sunny day or the uh, heat capacity, as they call it, of like of solids is different than the heat capacity of air. So uh, there are biases and there are different, uh, you know, that those biases have an impact on the nesting habits of many species. Lesser sure. chicken. That was an, an interesting example that I will never forget in my life. But it, it has a, a huge effect also on mosquito outbreaks and wow. many different uh, applications. The strawberries probably require temperatures that are closer to the surface because they, they are they grow lower. so close. Yeah. They, they grow lower. But if you have a, a trees, it uh, could be tea 
coffee, uh, you actually need a gradient of temperatures below wow. and above canopy. Wow. So, uh, and the canopy of the tree is not at the level that the National Weather Service gives you. It's not at two meter. You know, it's it, it wow. could be at one feet. Wow. So uh, you need that level of flexibility. The users are very different, and their crops could be at uh, you know at almost at surface level, or it could be one feet, could be two feet, uh, could be you know for forestry applications. They might even require temperature at uh, you know six feet, nine feet, easily. So it wow. depends, and uh, the pests also, especially now springtime, yeah. turning mm-hmm. to summer, they attacked. Uh, the different crops, they attack different uh, plants in general, and you can uh, link the attack of the pest to environmental conditions. So really? In essence, they yeah yeah exactly. They they there is like a fantastic line of work of biologists all over the world that can link, uh, let's say, powdery mildew or uh, different uh, leaf borer insects. Uh, to environmental conditions, Whoa. relative humidity, temperature. So any any discrepancy or like a big error, like eight degrees Fahrenheit in temperature, will have also an effect on how you forecast your pests, and that might lead you to think that you are not under stress, but maybe the pest has been eating your crops for one week, which can make the difference between a higher yield or no yields. Wow! <laughs> see that. See, this is fascinating. This has a real life implication, not just for the farmer, the vineyard owner, whatever, but also for what crops get created, thus what food is in the supply chain. So how did you get interested in this? I mean, it's fascinating to me. So it's no surprise that you're interested (laughs) in it. But like, I mean, obviously, you know, you told the story about about how you grew up, but sort of how did you how did you end up here? I mean, I mean, what what was it that you were like, oh, I got to go solve this problem? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, as I told you, it's probably the, all the addition of all my life events and uh, who I am, talking with users. And plus, uh, growing up, my mom worked 28 years at the National Federation of Coffee Growers oh, in Colombia. Wow. So, uh, so, yeah, for us, coffee was a big thing. And we even remember when there was like a an, an insect coming uh, from Brazil, I remember that it was at the, we were monitoring even at the news level, that's like, okay, this insect is going to come to the country. And then uh, 30 years later, it's been in the country and it's very hard and it's still attacking the, all the coffee plantations. But uh, yeah, it's all this effect of how you put together uh, the effects of weather, climate into agriculture, into energy. Uh, I have always been fascinated basically because uh, I grew up like following coffee, uh, that is a very premium specialty crops, a typical characteristic specialty crop uh, that has a huge effect on national economies. So uh, in many ways, I also want to create a company. Mm. Uh, we are striving to go there to be the go-to uh, solution for specialty crop growers in the world. We see that most of the products out there uh, are tailored to the row crops that we have been talking uh, at the beginning of the program. Yeah. Think about the weeds, the corns. Those are like hundreds of thousands of acres uh, that uh, traditionally they have like more agricultural insurance. Uh, huh. If you lose uh, 100 acres, uh, of course, it's, it's catastrophic, but it might not be the end of your farming life because you have another 
1,000 acres. Yeah. Uh, so but if all you manage, have is 50 acres or 100 acres and you, you lose half of that, that that's bad. Yeah. Exactly. So it's uh, um, that's why I started like working uh, towards solving problems for specialty crops. Of course, the solutions are very similar for row crops, but uh, deep in, into my heart and who we are as a company, we want to make these technologies more accessible. Yeah. for uh, medium-sized farmers uh, in specialty crops. So, for example, that. working here in California with avocado growers. Okay. Um, uh, we recently are uh, starting a pilot also in Chile. No, it's a Chilean company uh, that has operations in, in South America. Um, that They grow avocados. They, it's fascinating how avocados use so much water. Really? Uh, and... Um, yeah, actually, there is a very interesting documentary in Netflix that you should watch. Okay. Uh, about it, uh, avocados and okay. how much water they use. Uh, it's it's very very interesting. And here in Southern California, I read in the news uh, probably two months ago that uh, for policy regulations, of course, we are in a never-ending drought. Never-ending. Uh, yeah. Water districts have to make decisions of who uses the water and increasing the. Everybody has to, in many ways. Uh, a higher cost of water than they yeah. used to have. Uh, now there are restrictions on use, restrictions. Wow. Uh, last year, some areas didn't or actually were going to be paid for not growing crops. Wow. Uh, so the situation is, is very, it's very So severe. if you're an avocado grower in Southern California or anywhere in California right now, you're struggling to figure out how to get enough you're water struggling. to produce a yield and in some cases yeah. being incentivized to not grow. Yes, some of them are facing the decision is like, can we have this, can we keep doing what our family has been doing wow. uh, for decades? Uh, because there are so many different factors from wow. uh, imports of avocado uh, to how much the average consumer is willing to pay for an avocado. Are you going? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's fascinating uh, at the policy level, uh, and this should open a, an interesting discussion of how much is the user willing to pay for the products, for the yeah. cost of agriculture? Because there are so many subsidies uh, yeah. that are there that are hidden. And of course, they are needed for national security. Yep. But the cost that, uh, for example, somebody will pay to irrigate their lawn is uh, probably $2,000 more per acre feet. Acre feet is a unit of volume of water. Yep. And uh, some uh, water districts, uh, let's say I could pay 2060 uh, dollars per unit yeah. uh, at a residential area, but uh, in a agricultural district they could pay only sixty. So you know, it's, wow. it's the same amount of water. <laughs> but the, but the course, perceived value, wow, mm -hmm. isn't that interesting? Like we we value more having a green lawn than we do paying farmers and growers for a fair wage for what they're actually growing and producing that we eat. I say it's a, it's a fascinating topic um, because yeah. it could have an effect. Of course, the government uh, is doing that uh, to try to keep the prices down. Of course. And people, it, keep people doing farming is very important. So they yeah. know everybody moves to the cities. Uh, so, uh, but it, it puts into question what is the real cost yeah. of a strawberry yeah. or, a, or of an avocado yeah. uh, if you remove the subsidies. So how much water you need to produce one avocado. That's right. That's right. And, and it makes sense because disproportionately um, 
the poor and the lower classes are disproportionately affected by increases in food prices and increases in commodity prices, right? That, you know, then the average middle class or upper class person, you know, definitely in America, but certainly other places as well. Globally. Yeah. Yeah. Now Um, with the globalization, uh, it's a very important effect uh, that everybody is suffering. Yeah. Before countries were more uh, reliant on natural or like their own economies. Yeah. Uh, now with internationalization, we even see some of the unfortunate effects, of course, of the Russian and Ukrainian conflict. Yeah. Um, that is devastating at the, of course, at the human level, cultural level. Yeah. But if you look at the agricultural sector overall, we see uh, how reliant yeah. many economies are of uh, Russian fertilizer. Yeah. Um, the fertilizers that also were coming from China, and China decided to not export as yep. much as they were doing before. Yep. Uh, then uh, the all the cereals produced in Ukraine, yeah. sunflower oil, uh, many African countries were relying on those products. Yeah. Even uh, talking with some uh, farmers in Colombia, uh, some of them uh, were mentioning that because of the rising cost of fertilizers, because there is not enough now uh, supply. The those costs will have to be passed to the end user, or they will have to think about other or options. Have to do you know, it's, else. it's complicated. And, wow. uh, it, it happens globally. Wow. And the, for the smaller for the smaller farmer, that's of course as you were mentioning, it's a disproportionate effect yeah. on their bottom line, and that yeah. could all of these chain of events like uh, more weather volatility or variability, extreme events. Effects on labor increasing because of other regulations, wow. uh, lack of water availability, yep. plus all the external uh, aspects of uh, uh, international conflict that is affecting fertilizers and uh, wow. the cereals that sometimes are needed for uh, animal feed and actually affects everything. Uh, wow. Cereal is, is, is used globally for so many applications. So, um, so yeah. The, the so, e- are seen. so every little thing that you can do with your sensors, with the data that you're collecting to help farmers be more efficient, it really does make a bigger difference than maybe it might seem on the surface because there are so many factors they can't control that if they can get really efficient with the ones that they can then it makes it easier for them to offset some of those other costs or at least absorb some of it or, or you know, be more efficient in other places where they don't have a lot of choice, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, I think that uh, that's the, probably the, the biggest uh, uh, moral of the story. Yeah. Uh, that there are so many things that you cannot control. All of those ones affect agricultural producers globally. Uh, and although uh, we cannot control the weather to a certain extent, we can monitor better and we can understand what is going to happen in the next uh, few days at that farm level. And that has implications for labor scheduling, yep. for uh, planning, when yep. you have to do harvesting, dealing. Yep. Uh, sometimes uh, decisions as uh, innocent as, uh, should I open the, the sprinklers or the, the irrigation water system? Uh, many users have a fixed schedule, let's say Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, yep. X amount of gallons per minute. Yep. But what happens if Mother Nature is going to give you that resource for free? Yeah. You know, it's like, 
it should be more intelligent at yeah. this day and age. Yeah. Uh, same situation with fertilizers. Fertilizers, if you apply them before it will rain, the fertilizers will go in runoff and they will end up in a river stream. That oh. will cause more ecological problems because then the nitrogen will end up in the rivers. Right. Then you will have algae blooms and and it's not, and then it's, it's not helping your, it's not helping your crop. And it's not helping, and it's it's not not helping, helping the environment. Then, <laughs> exactly. Because oh, man. At the end, you spend it. You oh, spend no. the fertilizer, but the plant didn't use it. Yeah. Because they didn't have time to do the nitrogen absorption. So, uh, all of those small uh, decisions, you know, if you just know that, okay, it's going to rain tomorrow, then I don't fertilize today. Yeah. You, know, you can just wait after uh, you have a dry window. The same thing with pesticides. Uh, for those ones, those farms that they still need to do uh, pesticides, they are windows of very clear that the yeah. manufacturers have in terms of uh, wind speeds that they need yep. uh, in order for it to not blow away. Yeah. So many many decisions they can be just wasting money uh, because they apply it when it's too windy yeah. or if it's going to rain the next day or yeah. the same thing with the with the water availability. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, if you just understand the future a little bit better, yeah. all of those decisions over a growing season they yeah. adapt. And it's not about water, the macro. Energy. It's not about the macro, fu- you know, future. It's about mm-hmm. for my area right here, for your area, which mm-hmm. may not be reflected. I mean, how many times have we seen that where the weather says, "Oh, over Denver, it's going to be," but I'm in Southwest Denver, which means I'm always yeah. going to get more snow. I'm always going to get more wind. Like it's always going to hit me first. And, exactly. You know, Denver's a big place, right? Denver, Denver is a is a big place, and that's uh, exactly the the problem that people were facing. Yeah. So traditionally, these weather models were created after the Second World War uh, for different applications. You know, uh, of wow. course, uh, based on physics, but it was a problem of national security of like when to send the planes and all of those things. So, no kidding. But they were, the weather models were not designed to produce the best forecast for agriculture or farms or any ah. fixed asset. So uh, we have been using it because it's a fantastic technology. Yeah. And uh, we identified more than 72 use cases uh, or business cases of weather applications. Yeah. But in the case of uh, fixed assets, things that do not move in a space like a farm. Yeah. And in a very human nature, you care about your farm and then you care about your county. Yeah. So um, <laughs> so as you say, like if you are in, in South Denver, you understand the effect of the Rockies depending on which side of the mountain. You could yep. receive more snow, no snow. Yep. Same thing with the, the lakes, the Great Lakes in the Northeast. Uh, while Canada might be covered in snow, uh, Buffalo might not. Uh, because even the, these Great Lakes have an, an effect that uh, change microclimates. Wow. Uh, we have seen uh, changes in, in weather just because of um, at the farm level. Yeah. Uh, some farms, for example, have uh, crops that are growing. And uh, another field near there, basically same farm, they they are just uh, they just finished harvesting. So in one you have like dark soil, and the other one you have like green uh, vegetation growing, and that by itself changes what we call the the albedo, the how much energy is reflected, and so oh on. My so gosh. at the farm level, you you can see two, three, five degrees uh, difference, just that almost the same microclimate, just different land cover. Yeah. That is fascinating. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So company, so, so you saw this opportunity to come in 
you know, with all of your background and all of your knowledge and all of your, your, and I, I just, I get your heart for the climate and for people and for, and, and you have to hold these like really seemingly different paradigms all at once when creating what you're creating, which is, this isn't just about, it's about microclimates, but it's also about microeconomies and the impact of that and how, you know, bringing all this kind of stuff together to give these people data that they need. And and it's also interesting that you brought up the thing about how the how the weather system was created because there's an inherent bias in in that weather modeling for a totally different type of activity than what the average daily user really needs weather for. Right? Yeah. Totally, totally. Which um, is also one of the potential side effects of, of, a, of an, a machine learning model. You know, we see this in medicine all the time where it's like, oh, you know, BMI, which is supposed to be like ideal body weight or ideal body mass yeah. or whatever. It's like, yeah. well, but that was developed in Europe in the 20s and 30s <laughs> yeah. and 40s with primarily white men. So, like, right. it doesn't reflect most people across the planet, the but we're trying to fit inside yeah. this box, right? Totally, totally, exactly. There are so many unconscious biases even when you train models and that's another situation that we can go as deep as you want but they, yeah. are, they are now there is an emerging field of ethics in machine learning Isn't that to try to uh, even address or acknowledge that there are biases yeah. uh, as you say like for example when disproportionate uh, at the beginning they were like training facial recognition algorithms yep and uh, they train them always with white men yeah so what if you are not white? You are not, right. a, you are not a male. Right. <laughs> they, they, they map you into what, an animal, or they, yeah. <laughs> they say like, "What are you?" You know, oh like it's God. like it's, it's not. So it's a, it happens, and it's yeah. just because of the the sampling problem of of that. The same thing with the body weight. Like yeah. if they think that uh, European men in the in 1920s is, is <laughs> are like representative the ideal. of 7 yeah. billion people yep. is like what is happening yeah <laughs> you know, it's uh, what happened with women yeah you know and yeah. it's totally different uh, even yeah. uh, anatomically so yep. it's uh, you can just not uh, have like one size fits all yeah and that's why we decided also to do these solutions that we understand that we cannot give them a one size fits all weather solution yeah. we yeah. are tailoring it to each specific farm I love that. Field. I love that. All right. So if you had to give uh, other entrepreneurs one piece of advice, what would it be? Follow your passion. Mm. Or try to find a problem that it really that you're passionate about. Don't do it for don't do it for glory. Don't do it for the money. Uh, yeah. It's at the beginning there will not be any <laughs> either uh, of those things. <laughs> yeah, either of those things. So uh, do it do it because you're really passionate uh, about the problem. Because yeah. that will keep you uh, during the tough times. That will be uh, your guiding star, your north, or like why you are doing this. It, it's always easier to answer it. It's like because I really care, or yeah. because I care about my users, and yeah. I really connect on this on this solution. Uh, don't do it because it's a big business opportunity. Mm. Uh, because big business opportunities are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, or you can go and do something different. I don't know. Yes, you know. Sell NFT NFTs. <laughs> now I see that that's a, <laughs> I could be making more <laughs> with that. <laughs> so. Oh my gosh, it's so but, true. Uh, that's right. 
some people might be might be so like, oh, I really love NFTs and NFTs is my thing. So that's yeah. great to go and do it and be the best yep. that you can. <laughs> yep, yep. So. But follow your passion. I love that. Follow, follow your passion. So, so yeah, there is always this an anecdote of, uh, and I, I remember when I was doing, uh, I took some elective in art art history, and they were we were talking about Picasso and how the mother say, okay, what, uh, how he. She checked him in many ways. Like you're going to do something, just start to be the best. Yeah, you know, it's uh, if you are going to be a priest, try to be the pope. If you yeah. are going to, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> and, uh, if you want to be a painter, then strive to be the, be painter, the best. Yeah, uh, and, and so on. So, so that's uh, that's probably have a start for perfection for to try to to be the best version that you can, caring about a problem that you really care. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that the pieces will will uh, will follow. At least for me, it's very gratifying every time that I talk to a user and say, like, "Yes, okay, yes, yes, you are definitely better than uh, the previous wear solutions, and you are making a difference." Uh, that that by itself it justifies uh, all the growing pains of a company. Yeah. Uh, and every time that I have to go and do taxes in different states or something like that. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, oh, is that. <laughs> I'm doing it for the farmers. I'm doing it for those avocado <laughs> guys in California. Exactly. Like, <laughs> like, These guys really care. Let's try to solve it. And <laughs> if if oh I don't do it, I don't know who else will do it. That's right. No one else will. I'm doing it because I'm the one. Nobody has been doing it. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's help them. Good for you. Oh my gosh, I love that. Well, Carlos, thank you so much for taking the time today to talk with us. Thank you for sharing. I mean, your knowledge of this subject is so, it's rich and it's deep and you have shared it so willingly and I'm I'm fascinated. And so thank you for being with me today and thank you for sharing that with the audience. This, this has been really, really fascinating and I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Cynthia. Hey, very happy to to be here to participate uh, yeah let me know when you want to keep uh, having a conversation we can yes. go deep in machine learning models applications or yes. ethics or <laughs> yes so, so to that point so, if somebody wanted to find out more or they were interested like are there other like resources books podcasts websites anything that you'd recommend whether on the entrepreneurial side or on the machine learning side or even in the you know microclimates and microeconomies and that like any of that kind of stuff anything you'd recommend if people want to learn more yes of course um, great resources out there um, the first one I will I am biased but of course I would recommend the book of my doctoral advisor uh, William Shea uh, on machine learning applications and environmental science okay um, He's writing the second version, so soon will be released. Awesome. Uh, great book, uh, accessible with examples. Uh, it uh, removes some of the myths around it, but also it tackles it from the perspective of physics, of okay. uh, you know uh, the the part of the math behind it. Yeah. Uh, so you don't apply it as a black box. I think it's important to yeah. understand uh, the machine learning limitations because. The problem of using a, a model that is out there is that if you don't know what's inside the hood, you don't then, know what you're uh, going to you get. You are not in control. Yeah. You are not in control. And yep. you should be in control of your model. You should always understand, at least if the process result is like, yeah, that makes sense. I, I made that conscious decision that yep. it should, this output should be expected. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's on the academic side, on the, 
on the entrepreneurial side, I think that when we went into Techstars last year, there's a very nice uh, accelerator based yep. in Boulder. Yep. It was beautiful to go there. Yep. Uh, <laughs> love the Rockies. Um, we received a book on venture deals. Oh. Uh, Brad Feld. Okay. Uh, yep. yep. I think that it gives a very interesting context for entrepreneurs that are looking for uh, scaling their business and received uh, VC uh, support, venture yeah. capital support. Yeah. Uh, there are different ways that you can be an entrepreneur. Some of them you could self-fund. Some of them uh, might choose the, the path to go and find uh, support from different angel investors or institutional investors. Yep. Uh, we had done a, a mix of everything from uh, National Science Foundation grants, uh, NASA grants, nice. uh, um, and uh, of course we have like also institutional investors. I think that this book is going to give a great context of uh, how the relationships go when you have the conversations. Yeah. Uh, it's a numbers game. Just yeah. talk to as many people as you need. Don't focus on only one. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you know, that, uh, and in many ways, time is money. You will have to spend your time yep. uh, speaking with potential investors. They are not all going to be a fit. Yeah. Uh, they also look for a fit uh, in an investor because yeah. it's almost uh, a decision like having your best friend. And uh, a good investor can make or break your business in the future. Oh, 100%. Hundred percent. Yes. Also, don't don't think that necessarily you are asking for money. It's you are also offering them an opportunity yes. to be part of something great. Yes. So it's, this is not charity. This is a business opportunity. And, <laughs> this is uh, a charity. You're not begging. So, yeah, we're not begging. <laughs> That's the thing it's, I always yeah. tell people. I'm like, why are you in this conversation? Like you're begging for money. You have something for them too. It's a relationship. Exactly. exactly. It's and uh, it's a relationship. It's like who do you think that it will help you grow in the future. Yeah. Uh, to be the best version of yourself and the company yeah. uh, five years, 10 years into the future. So being very strategic. Yeah. Uh, because in the book, even they mentioned that they have seen cases, many cases of investors that can destroy companies. Yeah. Oh, it makes my stomach so, hurt. Okay, good. All right. Yes. Awesome. And so if, if uh, our audience members would like to follow you or maybe they want to learn more about what you do or get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, thank you. Yeah, they can go and visit us at benchmarklabs.com and uh, contact us. It's like a contact us form. Perfect. <laughs> or uh, they feel free to uh, email me at carlos at benchmarklabs. Perfect. So Perfect. All right. Awesome. Uh, help the audience. Awesome. I will include all that in the show notes so that everyone can get can get that information really simply. Thank you again so much, Dr. Carlos Gaetan. I'm very, very happy to have had you here today. And I'm probably going to ask you to come back maybe in a couple months and talk a little bit more about what you've done from an from a business building standpoint, especially because there were some nuggets you just threw out about fundraising that I'm like, oh, I want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. We- thank you so much for being here today. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you very much, Cynthia. Enjoy the conversation. This is fantastic. See you in a couple of months. Perfect. All right. So thank you so much to my audience for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursor the Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursa.com. 
make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.